This is the Disability Visibility Podcast with your host, Alice Wong. Hello there. Welcome to the Disability Visibility Podcast. Conversations on disability politics, culture, and media. I'm your host, Alice Wong. Today's episode is all about anthologies with Kelly Jensen, the writer and editor who has a new anthology out now titled Body Talk. 37 Voices Explore Our Radical Anatomy. I also have a new anthology out this summer titled Disability Visibility. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with Kelly as two disabled editors. You'll hear about the unique aspects of anthologies, Kelly's approach to finding contributors and editing their writing, and the wondrous radicalness of bodies. And full disclosure, I have an essay in Body Talk about saliva, and I hope you check it out if you get a chance to read Kelly's book. Are you ready? Away we go. Okay, so Kelly, I am so delighted to have you on my podcast today. I'm so excited to be part of your podcast. Thank you for asking me. Oh, this is a pleasure. And uh, Kelly, why don't we start with you just introducing yourself and sharing anything about your background? Sure. Um, I am a full-time editor for Book Riot, which is the largest independent book website in North America. And I've been with them for about six years now, I believe. Um, Prior to that, I worked as a librarian with young people, with teenagers. And um, one of the things that I, I missed so much about libraries was working with those teens and being the sort of person who considers them in in their role in the community and in the library. So when I took this book riot job, which I love, um, I miss working with, with young people. So um, I realized that there was a real opportunity to use my skills as a writer and an editor to continue to work with young people through through books that really tackle the topics that are relevant and important to them. Thank you for that. And, you know, we are recording this conversation in late March of 2020, and we are right in the midst or kind of the, the beginnings of this coronavirus pandemic. So I just want to check in with you on how you're doing, and just like your own, any thoughts and comments you have about how you're kind of faring right now? You know, I, I, every day is a little bit different. Um, so in addition to working as an editor, I teach yoga and my yoga studio closed. Like, uh, we closed for two weeks in, you know, response to everything going on, but, um, the owner closed permanently. Uh, as of yesterday because she can't can't afford it um so i i lost 
that job. And I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky that it was just, you know, a couple nights a week. This was not my main source of income. So I know how, how lucky I am for that. But um, it was something that brought me and still brings me so much joy um, working with others in a way that really feels good. You know, it's, it's body and mind work and it's a really um, rewarding thing to do. So it's hard for me to kind of process what after is going to look like because so much of now is not that different for me since I've always worked from home, but it's going to feel weird not getting back into the routines that I had. But, uh, you know, it's like I, it's upsetting. And at the same time, I think to myself, I am healthy and I get to work from home. And there are so many things that are, are bigger and harder. So sitting with those two things at once is, is really a test of a lot of things of not practicing attachment, but at the same time, like allowing myself to have upset feelings both for what will change in my life and also for what's going to change for so many people. Um, what about you? How are you faring? Because this is a lot. This is a lot. It's a lot for so many people. I think it's that, you know, I am just trying to live like just day by day. I think mean, like you, you know, I'm also just very thankful for having a roof over my head and just, you know, family with me. And I do have, at the moment, you know, enough supplies. So, you know, I'm just uh, in washing a bunch and just to be as proactive as possible. But I think, you know, there are, I think, a lot of mental health issues in terms of just dealing with the anxiety and the uncertainty of this pandemic and I'm guessing for people with a lot of, you know, mental health disabilities, this is gonna be rough, you know, it's gonna be really like it's gonna exacerbate a lot of people's, you know, conditions and the fact that maybe they can't see their therapist or like you know, these are disrupted as like you said about routines. So I do, you know, worry about that for a lot of people. I do too, and I think we will see after this ends, however it ends, um, we're going to see a lot more people, I think, discussing mental health more openly than before, because I think even for people who haven't experienced actual mental illness, they are going to experience what some of those things really feel like. Um, and and finally be more open to discussing them and to regarding people who really experience these, these things day in, day out um, in a different way. Yeah, and my concern is that once things get a little better, that, you know, all these non-disabled folks would be like, oh, we're back to normal, you know, we're back to, like, we're back to our old lives. And I think, uh, you know, the fact that it wasn't normal for us, uh, many of us, to begin with, you know, that this is never, like, we've always faced uncertainty and marginalization. And I think this is, like, maybe the one hope is that people realize how much privilege they have and they like, thinking about this normalcy that they think, you know, that they think that everybody has... Uh, access to.
Okay, so we're talking about anthologies today, and, you know, before we talk about your new one titled Body Talk, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about uh, the one you had published in 2018 by Algonquin Young Readers titled Don't Call Me Crazy, 33 Voices Start the Conversation About Mental Health, and, you know, I first want to find out more about, like, how did the idea for this book come about, and what was the process like getting it published? So, Don't Call Me Crazy was my second anthology and my second with um, Algonquin, and the idea really kind of um, seemed like a natural next step for me, because as I was editing my first anthology, that's when I... um, really was getting help for my own mental illnesses and uh, going through that whole process as an adult was fascinating because I had been experiencing um, depression and anxiety since I was in high school but when I was in high school there wasn't the language for it and it wasn't um, easy to discuss or even understand like what was off in my head um and so as I was going through this I just I I was doing so much reading of other people's experiences and realized that there was very little for teens out there that was nonfiction and talked to them as if it were a conversation rather than um a textbook that helps them you know either come to understand whatever they're experiencing or um, talk to them in a very medical type way. Um, there's certainly value in that, but I wanted something where teens could pick up the book and and really relate to the pieces. So that's, that's where it started. And um, a lot of my proposal includes a snapshot of sort of what I envision the book to be followed by writing an introduction to the book. The intro doesn't always stay, but it gives sort of the framing for how I'm thinking about the book. And then I always come up with a list of potential contributors, people I would love to have in there. You know, some of them are going to be like high in the sky folks who probably would never contribute um, just because they're so you know high profile. But then um, I, I really focus on ensuring I have as wide a range of voices as possible and to include voices that don't necessarily come from people who are published authors or writers because I think that there's real power in seeing that a topic can cross outside of a writer because um, I think it, it can get too easy to stick to people who do one job talking about this one experience where something like mental health is it impacts every person in some capacity um so then that is sort of where I I take these ideas of who I'd like and then I kind of come up with a table of contents of topics I want to make sure I hit in the anthology and then um that's pretty much my proposal my agent will give me some feedback on that and give me ideas and then submit it to my um editor to see to see if they want it and um 
the mental health one was was an easy easy sell for them so they were really excited and I felt very supported through the entire process of that book which was not an easy book to do yeah and uh don't call me crazy was named a best book of 2018 by the Washington Post and earned a Schneider Family Book Award honor for distinguished representation of the disability experience. And what did it mean to you to have such recognition for this anthology? Um, it, it meant the world and it still means the world. Um, I struggled with this book and part of it was that getting people to talk about mental health was challenging. It's a really sensitive topic and it's hard to put yourself out there. I anticipated that part. What I didn't anticipate was how challenging it would be to then edit those pieces, to consider these really raw experiences people were sharing, and then as an editor to talk about how they can make it a better piece or a stronger piece or better hone in on the thing that they're really trying to say. And um, it was it was just a struggle to do that. And then it was a struggle to think about how to put them together in the collection and allow each piece to stand on its own and to give a perspective um, that was individual. I didn't want this to be a collection that was my perspective because that's that's one perspective. When you do an anthology, you have the opportunity to offer so many more um, and you want to organize it in such a way that it's, it's a conversation, that these pieces are engaging in something bigger than uh, one through line. love about anthologies that's kind of unique from other types of books like what is it that's really uh, special about an anthology for a reader compared to other kind of you know like first person narratives or just like other forms of like memoirs and fiction and non-fiction what do you think it's like the the gem of uh, an anthology I think it's the same for me as an editor as it is for um, readers, and it's that you get so many perspectives on a topic in one place. And um, my pieces, I purposely have writers keep their pieces short. Um, I, I give plenty of room where if they're going to be longer, that's fine. But um, there's something, I think, really appealing about a book where you look at it and it's not intimidating because you see that these um, essays are four, five, six pages long. They aren't that long. And um, seeing all these different names on them. So you, you know you're going to read so many different perspectives. And yet, um, if you're a reader, you don't feel like you have to read it cover to cover. You can jump around. Um, you can skip pieces that maybe don't land with you um, when you read it the first time, and then you can return to it, and suddenly that piece has a lot more power to it. That, of course, is the reader side. As an editor, it is so cool to work with so many different people and to have the opportunity to work with 
writers who haven't been published before. That's, I think, my favorite part. I really love to tell writers, particularly those who haven't published, that what is important is that you have a story, not that you know how to put a sentence grammatically, you know, in a grammatical fashion. Um, because as an editor, that's my job. Um, and we'll work together to make it a really powerful piece of writing. But you can't have that powerful piece of writing until you have a story. And um, to see some of these writers go from never having done this before to being really, really proud of this piece they wrote is just so rewarding and fulfilling. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, trust involved with, like, being an editor with the contributor and, you know, what's your approach to, like, working with writers, and especially since you're also a writer, I think, uh, you know, what are some of the keys to having this kind of relationship? Because there may be times where you may suggest something that they, you know, are not, you know, supportive of or just have differences. So how do you kind of work, you know, community and also just come to some sort of consensus and just, you know, based on mutual trust and respect. Yeah, um, I really like it because it is, it is about mutual trust and respect. And I tell every writer when I approach them that they can write about whatever they want to. Um, and I think that that is step one for me is making it clear that they get to be the expert on whatever it is they're writing about. Um, I'm clearly going to ask them questions as an editor as I'm going through, but they're questions for clarification, not questions of whether I believe them or not. Um, I wouldn't ask them to contribute if I didn't believe them, um, if I didn't believe they had a story, if I didn't believe they had a perspective that was worth sharing. Um, my, my second thing is that I let writers work the way that they work. So some writers send me a perfect draft the first time through, and that's awesome. I have some writers who just send me an outline of what they want to do, and we work, you know, paragraph by paragraph to make it a piece, and I love doing that too. I've found that letting the writer be the writer and you as an editor saying you're an editor and you're there to work with them, however works for them, really makes that partnership powerful because you're not impressing your ways upon them, but instead are a resource for them um, in whatever way they need you to be that resource. In terms of editing, I always tell the writer they have the right to say no to things. Um, I am very fortunate that I have not had that experience. I've, I've worked with some writers for months back and forth on a piece, and I always think of my role as an editor as somebody who asks questions more than steps in and gives an answer. I think that that really gives the writer power as opposed to putting the power in my hands. You know, this August, uh, August 18th of 2020, you have another anthology coming out called Body Talk, and 
you know, just to be completely like true spirits. So I'll post the know that I'm one of the contributors. I have an essay uh, to this introduction, so this is like completely biased. And I'm super excited about this anthology uh, for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, tell me about, I guess, why bodies and why, you know, why did, what's, what's going to be like, what was the idea for this anthology that's, you know, different and a departure from your other two anthologies? Um, this is a great question. Um, I knew I wanted to do something related to bodies after I did um, feminism and mental health. I had many, many people ask me to do something, um, but I wanted to do something with bodies and I did not want it to be this body positive anthology. Um, I think that that stuff is out there and it has a purpose and it can be done well. What I wanted instead was a book that looked I, I pitched it to my um, agent as, you know, the puberty book that actually matters, right? Because it's going to talk about more than reproductive stuff. It's going to talk about literally all the things that can go on in a body, um, whether that's physical or political in nature. And trying to distill that into a proposal was probably the hardest part of the anthology process. Um, trying to put words to what I wanted to do so that it's not just labeled, you know, this body positive anthology. It's not. Um, certainly there's positive stuff in there, but that's not the goal. The goal is instead to give this space for people to talk about their experiences having a body um, and all the different ways that one can have a body um, because, because everybody's experience is completely different and that's what makes it so fascinating and also I think so important to talk about um the the actual putting the anthology together and finding writers and having it like um organizing it was surprisingly easy everybody who contributed was on board and knew exactly what I wanted to accomplish with this book and brought just incredible pieces to it. I am like so excited. This, I, I hate like saying that one book is my favorite of the, you know, any of them. Cause they all, I love them all, but this one, something about it, all the pieces just clicked um, together really, really well in a way that feels so satisfying. Oh, that's really exciting. And, uh, and I feel like this is one of the things that's, you know, uh, a challenge for an editor is you have all these different pieces, but find it grouping them in different ways to really, you know, capture like the essence because there's so many different ways to organize this table of contents. So like, what was that like? Because I think, like, did it, was that, did it come to you kind of organically or did you kind of have different drafts, different iterations of it? This one was, um, it actually didn't stray too far from sort of what I envisioned when I wrote the proposal. Um, the pieces within the sections are different, but um, so here's, a, here's an example. Um, I had two pieces that talked about having scoliosis 
and they talk about a similar experience, but the tones in them are very different and they are just very different pieces despite talking about a similar thing. So in, in situations like that, I thought way more about the themes in the piece. Okay, this one is going to talk about what growing up with a back brace was like and how that impacted her teen years and then like why she has these memories of um, being in this classroom and this teacher who treated her a certain way because of it. Um, That's such a different set of themes than the piece that talks about having this incredible back surgery to straighten your spine and um, being really, really funny about this experience. Um, They're two very different feels. And so I wanted to put them in sections that felt more appropriate capturing that as opposed to pairing them together. Um, and, And so that's sort of my process in it is I want to look at the, the, the big themes in each piece and then also how does it make you as a reader feel? Um, I want these pieces to play off each other and I find that it's easier to do that when you, you know, parse out funny pieces and, inter, you know, interweave them with the more serious pieces so that there's some some lightness in the book too because these are heavy topics. These are really difficult things to talk about or share sometimes. And yet um, it almost heightens how powerful they are when it's not just one tough piece after another, but instead tough piece, tough piece, really funny piece that drives all those ideas back home. So as we wrap up, I want to ask, uh, you know, what are you most looking forward to when your book comes out in August? I love this question, and I love it because um, with my previous two books, I couldn't know what it was people would be most fascinated with, right? Um, so with Body Talk, I don't know what is going to be the thing. I think it might be, and I, I guess this is my what I hope it will be, is that this really gives some insight into just how many ways there are to talk about and to think about and to experience having a body. Um, we, we have these ideas of like what a normal body is, right? But this book is very much about there is no such thing as a normal body. Everybody's body is normal for them. And breaking apart this idea of what the standard body is, I think is is important. And I think too that people are gonna be surprised that it's not a like body positive, love your body, this that you know, that that line, like, yes, that comes through periodically, but like that is not the driving force behind this book. Um and to me, that was that was important from the start, and I hope that um, readers who pick it up, thinking that that's what it's going to be, are pleasantly surprised that it's a little bit, a little bit beyond that. And I think the idea of the word talk, I think 
Yeah, you know, just like your previous anthologies, you know, it sounds like it seems to be, you know, one of the purposes of your books are to, to generate conversation and to have this as a starting point for people to really think through things and question things. I, I hope so. That's always sort of, that's that's been the goal since day one is is giving a tool that can really engage people in conversation, whether that's internal conversation or a broader conversation. Um, and that's, and that's to bring it back to one of your earlier questions. That's the beauty of an anthology is you can really spark discussion because a good anthology is not going to be one sided. It's going to have a lot of nuance in it and a lot of different perspectives. And yet they can all exist within the same topic. Well, I couldn't say it any better. So, is there anything else you'd like to share? Or just as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to touch on or talk about? I I am just I am fascinated to see what readers might think of the book in a post coronavirus world, too. Um, because I think we're really in this place right now where our bodies are something we are so conscious of, even if that's not necessarily how we're thinking about them, right? Well, especially all the doshas of frailty and resilience, which I think, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, right? I think, you know, right now people are feeling very vulnerable, and I think a lot of people well, I took their bodies for granted, are really getting a little sense of what's, you know, chronically ill disabled people have always experienced. So I feel like there's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of thinking about bodies that probably haven't, many people haven't considered. Exactly. And, and you think too, People who have lived in bodies that have required them to work 10,000 times harder to get even basic respect, you know, like now that is a a more, I don't want to say global reality, but more people who haven't had those experiences are suddenly having them. And I can only hope that's going to create better people um, who better listen to these voices who've been screaming for forever about how terrible our system is, especially in America, for anybody who is not, you know, the the ideal, who doesn't um, need accommodations or doesn't need to scream to be heard. Um, and and so my, my hope is that this will be a, a wake-up call. Um, it's hard to say I don't have faith in it changing everything, but I want to hope that it will. And I want to hope that people who've been having these experiences since forever, you know, their voices are respected and listened to as the authority as they should be um, in ways that they haven't been before. Well, Jelly, thank you so much for being my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is a production 
or the Disability Visibility Project. And all that community are dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media culture. All episodes of 23 Stress Trips are available at disabilityvisibilityproject.com slash podcast. And you'll also find out more about Kelly on my website. The audio producer for this episode is Geraldine Asu. Introduction by the Deep Crowd. The music by Vulture Sports Camp. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, or Google Play. You can also support our podcast for a dollar a month or more by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dvp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dvp. Thanks for listening. Yeah, see you on the internet. Bye.